Welcome back to another Grizzly Books podcast episode. Today we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm not going to be looking at a serial killer for a change. As you know, that's pretty much my entire brand. It's what I specialize in. It's what I write books about. But today I'm going to be discussing with you a case that I've wanted to discuss for the longest time because this is one of those cases that I'm completely obsessed over. It's the Chris Watts murder case. And I know it revolts most people, it makes people angry, most people absolutely hate the guy, as do I. Um, it's just a case that I can't avoid talking about because no matter how much time goes on, it actually seems to just be getting worse and worse and worse. The more facts that come out, the worse the story gets. And that in itself is fascinating and tragic and heartbreaking. Um, to think that this guy murdered his pregnant wife and those two little girls. I mean, it's just the most shocking crime to me compared to many that I've covered because, you know, if we look at Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy, they are shocking, prolific serial killers. But it's almost like, I know that it's in hindsight, but there were some clues, you know, as to their behavior leading up to the things they did. For Chris Watts, there's very little to go on. It's as if he had this hidden, dark, evil side of him that no one saw until the day he snapped. And for me, the factors leading up to him snapping are also very interesting. And I find it very unique that this case is closed, but yet still kind of ongoing, mostly because of all these armchair detectives and YouTube communities that will not let the case go. And I fully understand it because they need to hold people accountable if they were involved as accomplices, which I believe they were. I don't know where you stand on the case, but I truly believe that they were accomplices. And apparently that is actually something that's going to be public knowledge pretty soon. There's apparently some arrests that could be made very soon for those other people that may or may not have been involved. <laughs> Even though we all believe that they were involved, we'll have to see what actually comes out of it. But to me, it's a very, very shocking and unique case, and I would just love to talk about it and share what I know with you. So I'm first gonna start by just covering the case as is, and then in between, I will just share some additional thoughts. I actually feel tremendous pressure covering this case because you know that feeling where you actually know a little bit too much about a case, but you don't actually know how to communicate all of that correctly? That's kind of how I feel, because I've watched hours upon hours upon hours worth of content about this case, and yet here I am making a podcast episode about it. And I feel like this could honestly be a whole season of Chris Watts, but let me just start at first with just one episode and see how that goes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be reading the case facts uh, to you and then filling in where I have more to say. Okay, so let's look at the Watts family murders. That's what it's known as. Now they occurred in Frederick, Colorado during the early morning hours of August 13th, 2018. While being interviewed by police, Christopher Lee Watts born on May 16, 1985, admitted to murdering his pregnant wife, Shanann Catherine Watts. She was Rusek before, that was her maiden name, and he killed her by strangulation. He later admitted to killing their daughters, four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste, by smothering them with a blanket over their heads. Okay, so what I wanna say is, most people believe the first version of events that have been communicated. But there's been so many updates since then. So I think what most people believe is that Chris Watts smothered his daughters in their beds and then strangled his wife. Now, while that's partly true, those daughters actually, he did apparently attempt to smother them and he thought they had died, but they woke back up. So that must have been such horrendous trauma for those little girls to go through but the problem is that the story gets worse and worse so what he apparently did was smother them in their beds go to the bedroom where his wife was strangle her we'll get to all the details i'm just giving an overview right now and then the little girls woke back up now there's speculation about did they really both wake back up 
there's some speculation that only Bella would have woken back up. But in letters, um, Chris Watts wrote to a lady called Sherilyn Cadell. I don't know if it's Cadell or Cadell. People say it differently. But he apparently confessed to her that when the girls woke back up, they literally had those like bloodshot type eyes and their faces were bruised and they looked confused and disorientated. I can think of honestly nothing worse. But what he did then was wrap Shanann in a sheet, carried her body downstairs in full view of the two little girls, assuming now that both of them were alive at that point, one might have actually been deceased at that point. And then what he did, loaded, he backed up his truck, as we know, from Nate, the neighbor's um, camera. And then if you watch carefully, if you look at that security footage carefully, while he's loading his truck, you see two, one, at least one or two little shadows moving under the car, which proved that the girls were still alive at that point. Then he loaded those girls into the back seat of his truck with their mother at their feet, wrapped in a sheet. He told the FBI that he put trash bags over her body so that they wouldn't have to look at her, you know, over her feet and head and the center part was all just wrapped in a sheet and that they were complaining about the smell um, because he said that when he strangled his wife she had relieved herself and that's how he knew she had passed. Now the theory is that he said that just to humiliate her after death but sometimes it actually does happen more often than not actually that that would happen especially if you're strangling someone that they would as they die their body would relieve itself so it kind of makes sense um, but there were no such markings on the sheet when they found it, so that's interesting too. You know, Chris Watts is a pathological liar, so there's very, very little that we can believe about what he says, and he keeps changing the story about the case. But the more the case goes on, and the more people are investigating it, the more the puzzle is being built and put together. So then he drove for 45 minutes to Survey 319, which was a site that was associated with the company that he worked with. It was an oil storage site where crude oil was stored in two tanks. Now here's the next thing that most people believe is that if anyone is updated on the case that's listening to this, then you would know that later information said that the girls were alive and they were kind of half falling asleep and just holding each other in the back while asking about their mother and who knows what Chris Watts was thinking or doing or what listen music he was listening to at the time, but he drove for 45 minutes with the girls alive in the back. At least one of them, meaning Bella, was alive. Now the thing is that he then grabbed Celeste's favorite Yankee blanket and smothered her in the back seat in front of Bella while he, well, just after he took Shanann's body out and dumped her in a shallow grave right there in the field. See, there's so much to talk about this and I hope I can do this cohesively. Um, but what was strange was that he dug such a shallow grave and just chucked her there. Like that would obviously be idiotic to do, um, to try to avoid detection or discovery. But he actually planned to blow up this entire site. And what stopped him was Shanann's friend rocking up at the house. Thank goodness for her. So that was Nicole Atkinson, which you can see on the footage and right before Chris Watts did his infamous idiotic interview in front of TV cameras. And um, there's lots of interviews that have been done with her as well. So this means that he had to be relatively quick with what he was doing, you know, what he planned to do that day. And so apparently the new information is that he, he smothered Cece in the car in front of Bella. And then, because he was in a rush, kind of, and lazy is the other word, he actually carried Cece, like when she was deceased, he carried her on his shoulder and told Bella to get out of the car and he held her hand while they walked across the dirt, climbed the steps to the oil tank. And that's when he smothered Bella, not in the car, which is horrendous. Like, Bella, apparently her last words were, are you going to do to me what you did to Cece? 
Chris Watts says he doesn't remember what he said in response. He doesn't know if he was a horrible person. He said literally, I can't believe how he talks. He's like, I don't know if I answered like a horrible person and just said yes or what I did. <laughs> like, he is a horrible person through and through. Like, what he said there doesn't determine if he's a horrible person or not. What he did in the whole story and murdering his pregnant wife and little daughter, that's already what makes him a horrible person but I don't think he connects the dots half the time he thinks that what he said is what matters which is insane to me so anyway if you know the story at all then you would know that after smothering both children and after throwing Shanann in a, in a shallow ditch he put each daughter in a oil tank and the little manhole or whatever you'd call it the opening at the top wasn't very big so for instance, Bella's body had scratches on it as he shoved her in there. They were still warm when they went in there and he chucked them in crude oil. I don't know who can do that. I don't know what kind of father on earth could ever do this. This is why this case is just, to me, it's so shocking because serial killers kill their own kind. They kill other human beings. But people that actually murder their own families this sadistically, like this horribly, is just... To me, that's next level. That's why this case really fascinates me. The thing that's annoying about the case is that Chris Watts entered a plea deal. He pled guilty to all the murders and so nothing really got investigated beyond that. But apparently there's hope, there's light at the end of that tunnel is that police are still apparently doing some investigations of their own to figure out exactly what happened and who else was involved so that they can hold them accountable. So because of his plea deal, instead of getting the death penalty, he was actually sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole. And three are to be served consecutively and two concurrently. So this guy is never getting out of prison. But you know what he's doing today? Apparently he's filed something called a 35C, which is, you know, so that he can have a retrial saying that, I don't know, some kind of appeal for the outcome of the plea deal and he wants a retrial or an actual trial which I suppose most of us who are obsessed with this case we want that because if there's a trial then more information will actually come out than what's been available up to now so that would be awesome because there's no way that he's getting out of prison even though his motive for filing this appeal is so that he can get out of prison early that's literally what he's thinking about which is crazy I don't know he's got so much delusion that it's absolutely insane like he's apparently become a pastor in prison and he's talking about if he gets out of prison then he's going to minister to other prisoners and he's going to be this amazing pastor and like what is he thinking here's another part of the case that i absolutely cannot fathom i can't stand it is that he's got pictures of his daughters in his cell he reads them bedtime stories at night. He says goodnight to them every night. And I don't understand why he's allowed to have pictures of them. Nor do I understand why he would do that. I mean, is it in a sadistic trophy way? You know, or does he really feel like, oh my word, what kind of trance was I in? What did I do? What was I thinking? I don't know. It's just insane to me that he's doing that. That's really bizarre behavior. For example, if you look at the John Wayne Gacy case, which of course there'll be a whole season about that coming up soon. If you look at him, he did an entire massive top secret file is what he called it. It was like case files on every single victim because he claimed to know nothing about the crimes by the time he was on death row. And so he wanted to figure out who these people were that had died and were buried under his house. To me, that's trophy behavior figuring out who they were, who their families were, you know, anything about them. Because I think he felt that he possessed them, that they belonged to him. It was his property. And so he used his time to study them. Now what Chris Watts is doing, I have no idea. I do not know how he can put those little girls pictures on his wall and sing happy birthday to them and talk to his mother on the phone. I don't know if you've heard those phone calls. <laughs> the mother is equally delusional and, um, listen to them talking about the little girl's memorial service and just how beautiful it was and just talking about things 
that are completely out of context. It's like, do you realize what you did? Do you realize that it was you that did it? Because the way he behaves is like, he really feels like it's someone else that did it. And he's just sitting there all innocent and he's a changed man now. And he also wants to obviously blame Satan for it. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I know now that it was the devil's work. And like, seriously, dude, you did it because you got a mistress. Your ego was for the first time probably in its whole life fueled and filled and fed so then he became a beast um i think his mistress completely stroked his ego and you know shenan didn't do that i don't think she meant to be a narcissist towards him but when i watch some of the the footage you know of their family videos i can definitely see that she often broke him down and belittled him um I just don't think that she intended to do that. So I'm not trying to make excuses or anything like that for her or for anyone's part in it. No one deserves to die no matter what. All that she then deserved, because there's a whole team of people that are like, you know, that she... There's a whole team of people that actually believe she killed the children, which is crazy. Like, she would never have done that. <sighs> Chris Watson, all these lies that he makes up. But, you know, I, so what I want to say is, even if she was narcissistic and belittled him, well then they should have gotten divorced no one deserves to be murdered because there's an entire team of people saying she was a bitch and she was controlling and she was this and so therefore this happened well that should never happen they should just get divorced and i mean why then also the daughters seriously so i truly believe that chris watts grew up in a narcissistic household um, I feel like that because so did I, so I resonate with some of the things, um, you know, that his mother says and the way that he behaved and just kind of being like he was a bit of a chameleon. People didn't really know him through and through because he was used to just submitting to whatever narcissistic freaking boss or whatever was around him, mostly because of his childhood. Okay, so what I feel like is that he, he married someone who was also bossy independent and maybe slightly narcissistic and so therefore his ego was completely um what would we call it void of attention he didn't have much of one until nicole kessinger came along and unfortunately when you mix that in with sexuality especially for males it can be such a powerful thing it can make them do crazy things. I'm not saying not females, I'm just saying especially for males. The male sex drive, the male ego, it's just such a powerful thing. And I really think it it turned him into a monster, which he didn't even know maybe that he could be because he was just on such a power trip. So for example, on the night that he murdered his entire family, apparently he had sex with his wife. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it probably is, you know. Um, it seems plausible that she was trying to save her marriage and would have come home from a long trip and they hadn't seen each other for a long time in any case because she'd gone on vacation and only saw him for a short while there and then when they were both back, finally she came back from her business trip and maybe she just thought, okay, now we can be together because it was kind of habit, which I suppose is to be expected in a marriage and they were very comfortable together and had their routines and he was saying to the FBI that um, if she just touched his leg like his thigh he knew it was go time so apparently that's what she did she touched his leg and he knew it was go time now the thing is sometime after that he strangled her and I just think it's because he did tell her that he doesn't love her anymore and he definitely wants a divorce and they need to think about selling the house and all of that and she was asking if there was someone else and he was denying it but I mean she already had a hunch and I think she would have gone into what I suppose most of us women would know. You know that, that little place we go to where you start absolutely shattering a man's ego, right? I don't even think we intend to do that, but when women fight, they fight hard. You know, especially when a man is, has revolted you. You know and just you're just so shocked by what they're saying and i think it's really hurtful for someone to say i don't love you anymore those words are just don't say that to anyone you know it would be perfectly normal to say i would like a divorce i want to start a new life this isn't working out for me but to say words like i don't love you anymore will get a hectic emotional response um 
And so I think Shanann responded to that. And after her going on and on and on, he snapped because his ego had been fueled by Nicole Kessinger. And I feel like he was being broken down at home, especially in that moment. And he snapped because he had this newfound sense of power and he thought, you know what, I'm going to use this. And he's like, no more. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I believe that if you grow up in a narcissistic household, it becomes really difficult for you to express your emotions because you're kind of not, there's no room to do that in those households. So if you do not know how to express your emotions, then you have to be very careful when rage is triggered or when humiliation is triggered or some kind of negative emotion because you might not know exactly how to deal with it or process it. So I think that's what happened. I really think he thought, I'm done being humiliated. I'm done being talked at um, like this. So I'm going to take you out now. And he did describe it as him putting her his hands on her neck and squeezing and not being able to let go. Even though there was a voice in the back of his head saying like, stop it. I think some type of, and hear me out on this, survival instinct kicked in where he felt like he could no longer emotionally survive this, you know, and so he just held on to a neck for dear life because he couldn't handle it anymore, right? That type of tone or maybe the mirror that she held up for him, meaning like, look at who and what you are, look at what you've become. I can't believe you would do this, that you would be such a freaking coward, that you would make a family with someone and then leave them just because you found some hot piece of ass. You know what I mean? So I think that years of repressed emotions and years of not actually being able to say, I'm really angry now, or I'm really sad now, or I don't like this, you know, his whole life, bottling that all up I think unfortunately and this can happen in life unfortunately he exploded on that day and that is a tragedy because of course Shanann and the family the little girls well he took it out on them and I think that that happens sometimes where someone can snap and take something out on someone that's not really you know it doesn't really the context doesn't fit it's not bad enough of a situation to react like that but that comes from years of trauma and years of um, suppressed and repressed emotions and just a whole bunch of pent-up stuff and it's unfortunate you know I think already way before then he needed so much therapy but unfortunately he didn't know it then and he still doesn't know it now he's still in full denial and just playing some kind of good guy now, even in prison, which is something that narcissists do. They will always do everything to protect their ego. And if the ego is being threatened, they will react drastically because for them, the ego equals survival. So that's also what I'm saying. I hope I'm making sense because I know my thoughts are all over the place and I'm trying to get in all the important parts while still covering the case. Okay, so let's just look at the couple as they were. So Christopher and Shanann were both North Carolina natives, with Christopher hailing from Spring Lake and Shanann from Aberdeen. They met in 2010 on Facebook. Um, he actually friend requested her and she thought, nah, which I wish, man, that was your first gut instinct, you know? I'm very, very passionate about um, being careful what you consent to in life and following your gut instinct. And there was something in her that just said, nah, the first time around. Now, when he kept on persisting, um, she eventually accepted his friend request and started chatting with him and thought, oh, well, why not? Why not just go on a date with this guy and see what happens? And of course, as we saw the story unfold, they were married within two years. They were married on um, the 3rd of November, 2012. And then Shanann was actually diagnosed with lupus and she really struggled to have children. In fact, she believed that she would never be able to have children because that's what doctors told her. But they were so determined to have children, which is why I find the story so sad as well, because of the amount of effort that they went to and that she went to, to actually have these children. And then he just killed them. What? So anyway, they had Bella Marie Watts, who was born on the 17th of December, 2013. And then after that, Celeste Catherine Watts, who they called Cece, and she was born on the 17th of July, 2015. So there they were as a family of four. 
The thing is that um, they lived quite beyond their means. Um, Shannon was quite a shopper. She also obviously liked the, the image stuff and having tons of clothes and tons of resources. And they lived in a five bedroom home in Frederick, Colorado, which is actually still up for sale today. This house has not been able to sell or to be auctioned off, even though a lot of the stuff in the house has been donated to charities and has been sold off and everything like that. It's amazing to me that this house is still just standing there empty. That makes it even more spooky. You know, we could talk paranormal there um, because imagine being in that house now. It must seem so eerie, even in the neighborhood. It's just, it will remind the neighborhood forever that that was a murder house. And I'm not saying that if someone moved in all of a sudden that it wouldn't, but that, that at least starts the healing process. You know, now they're thinking of tearing it down at some point. Um, it's a beautiful house. So it's very sad that no one has bought it yet, but at the same time, what's actually kind of shocking is that the house still belongs to Chris Watts, so technically he should get the money once the house is sold, and apparently his parents and Shanann's parents are fighting over some kind of life savings, and when I say fighting it's more Chris Watts' family's side of things, <laughs> that are trying to get their hands on what they deserve is theirs which is a whole nother shocking layer to this entire case. Anyway, Shanann and um, Chris Watts filed for bankruptcy in 2015. So remember what I said about the male ego and sexuality? Of course, if you add financial stress on top of that, I think it just adds to that survival mode I was talking about before, where a man, especially this man, was trying to protect his ego. Because I think he was trying to escape the financial stresses that he had as well as his strained marriage which no one knew was strained because of all the videos they put out but I think it was really getting intense for him where he felt pushed in the corner and one day he just bit back but unfortunately he went absolutely savage and out of control which is maybe why he's sitting in prison today saying I don't know what I did and I can't believe I did that like basically I overreacted it's just to the next next level he definitely overreacted but to the highest degree. So he was working for a company called Anadarko Petroleum at the time, and Shanann was working from home selling a product called Thrive, which I'm sorry if I say it wrong, but it's basically a pyramid scheme. Okay, and people sell health products and things, and of course, why I say that is because you earn your way to the top, you know, you start at the bottom and you sell your products to all your friends and then you earn your way to the top eventually and there's benefits, like eventually, I think the company gave her a car, you know, for doing so well. But the thing is that all the products that she was selling, she had to buy cash herself. So at the end of the day, there's very little profit coming from that entire business because you have to invest so, money, so much money in buying the stuff, the protein shakes and the protein bars and the everything and the patches, of course, that we saw in them. Um, and then try to resell that to all your friends and family and everyone you know and everyone that she had on her Facebook group. So the turnover isn't very high. The profit isn't very high. Even though you're buying so many boxes of things and maybe selling so many boxes, I think at the end of the day, um, she just wasn't bringing in that much income for the family as much as it looked amazing you know what i mean and i just think that that pressured him and irritated him and he didn't have a way to express that again please keep in mind i am not making excuses for him i just like to look at all the factors of how the hell and why the hell this happened and the reason i do it with this case so much so is because it's just crazy to look at everything of his life to see videos of him in college to see you know childhood photos and just things and you just you don't see the obvious red flags, you don't see it in his physiology, you don't see anything really until the day he snapped. So I'm trying to, you know, figure out how did he snap, why did he snap, what happened, what got him to that place. Of course, as we know, what added pressure um, for him was that Shanann got pregnant. Um, she was 15 weeks pregnant um, and they'd chosen the name already and they were going to have a gender reveal party when he killed her. Now, the reason that that was pressure and stressful was one, financial, and two, he had a mistress who wanted to give him a son. So I think he just had pressure from all sides. And at the end of the day, 
Damn, look what he did. Okay, so what else I want to say about this case is that Chris Watts, do you, I'm, I'm giggling, because do you remember the day he did that idiotic TV interview? He was so calm. He had that duping delight, that body language thing where he's smirking a little bit, you know, because you think, haha, I've gotten away with this. And he later revealed that he'd actually been planning these murders for some time. You know, it was milling around in his mind. The seed was already planted, whether it was planted for him by someone else or, you know, it was just planted. And at some point, man, that seed just blossomed. So to think that he was standing there, I mean, this is what gets me. What kind of idiot was he to think that he could stand there talking to the news, not thinking about even his in-laws or his own family seeing him on TV and thinking, damn, that's not the Chris we know. What is he doing? Why is he talking like that? Why does he look like that? Why is he so chilled about his entire family being missing? I mean, everything he said was for his own perspective, you know, or from his own perspective saying, I wish the kids would come in here and just um, barrel rush me. I wish they would just knock me over. Wish I could make them food. And just like, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, he wasn't saying like, oh my word, I'm, I'm fearing for their safety. I hope they're okay. Like what has happened? He didn't look panicked. He didn't look stressed. He, he looked so chilled. He looked almost high. He was so chilled. Um, of course, people say he had his arms crossed over his body, which they see as just a defense mechanism however that's just a self-soothing it's a self-hug it's just a way for him to feel calm while he's telling lies so anyway despite that very silly interview that he did that really raised everybody's red flags what really got to me was how did he think that even if he got to blow up the damn oil field how was he going to get away with it did he honestly believe that he could bury his wife like that throw the children in the oil tanks like that Let's say you got it right to blow the whole place up, which him and his mistress had apparently planned. Blow the place up, now the evidence is destroyed. Did he really think that he's going to drive back home that day, you know, get the life insurance out for his family and carry on with his life with his mistress? Like really? How did he think that? He clearly knows nothing about true crime, right? He knows nothing about how this stuff works. His plan was doomed to fail. It was the most idiotic plan I've ever seen executed, which is also what makes this case fascinating, is that this guy did something so horrendous, but also so idiotic, like he really, did he really think he's not going to end up in prison forever? Because he's almost shocked that he's there. I mean, the most recent thing is that he's complaining, <laughs> wait for it, that the prison food is not nice on Christmas Day that it's bland, that turkey and potatoes are bland, and that it doesn't feel like Christmas, and that he misses Christmas because he used to love the holidays and decorating his house, and he misses dressing up like Santa and doing all of that stuff with his family, and he feels like the prison makes such bland food and such a terrible atmosphere, almost to show people, to show the inmates, yes, it's Christmas, but you're not having it. That's literally what he's saying. I mean, really? <laughs> To me, that's just, he is so insane. Okay, so let's go back to the case facts. Shanann returned home from a business trip to Arizona at 1.48, so just before 2 o'clock in the morning on August 13th, 2018. So why was she home so late? Because her flight got delayed. And she was so antsy to get home and she was sending um, Chris messages and just being like, I'm so excited to see you and the kids. Like... I'll be home soon, my flight's delayed, okay, I'm boarding now, you know, the usual, which is so scary too, that she was like dying to get home, but when she got home, then she died, she got killed at home, that's insane to think that that's what happened. Anyway, she was driven home by her friend and colleague, Nicole Atkinson. Chris was home with their daughters. Later that day, Shanann and the girls were reported missing by Nicole Atkinson who became concerned when Shanann missed her scheduled doctor's appointment where she was actually going to check on her pregnancy. And she had told her friend, I'm very nervous, I'm going at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, and her friend's like, just let me know if you need a ride or if you'll be okay. And she said, no, I'll let you know. And I'll, I'll also let you know when I'm done. And Nicole could not get hold of Shanann. So Nicole was a true hero and friend because instead of just sitting there thinking hmm that's odd 
she actually reacted to her gut instinct. I mean, one couldn't be more proud of her for that. She felt that something was off, that something was wrong, and she went straight to the house. She knocked on the door, she knocked on the garage, she tried to get in, you know, she called the police. She said why she's worried about her friend, um, and so she got the police involved. And this really derailed Chris Watts' plan completely. If it wasn't for her, who knows what he would have gotten away with and for how long. I still think his plan was idiotic and he would have gotten caught anyway, but it would have probably just been delayed. Um, so she was there and um, sadly she's actually been diagnosed with cancer since this whole story and she's had a lot of chemo. She's got her own YouTube channel as well. So if you want to check her out, I would recommend it. She still talks about the case sometimes and what happened then on that day and afterwards and just feeling instantly she was like oh my word something is so wrong and like what did chris do the interesting thing i find is if you watch the videos that the police body cams took um when they arrive at the house and they meet nicole and they check everything out and then eventually chris watts arrives at the house did you notice if you've watched it how he greeted the police officer and then we only see him from behind, but he refused to greet Nicole or her son. So I would just imagine, based on what I saw from the back, that he would give her such a dirty look, just like give her a look and go in the house, in which he went into the garage and first opened Shanann's car door, which was very odd. Um, later, in later interviews, they asked him, what the hell were you looking for? Why did you do that first? And he said he just was looking to make sure everything was like clear and to see that the baby seats were still in the back and just just checking if he'd forgotten anything, you know, were there any clues that were just out there in plain sight. So he was covering his tracks. So anyway, thank goodness for Nicole Atkinson and getting the police involved, who then did a welfare check that was so amazing. And honestly, well, one can't say saved the day because Shanann and the girls were already dead, um, sadly, and put in oil tanks and chucked in a grave like trash. Um, which was so, so heartless how he did everything, but at least it got the police involved from day one. Also, what I want to add um, is, did you see when they went into the house, eventually Chris, okay, so he ran into the garage, opened the car door, went in the house, and then finally opened for them. It took two minutes, so who knows what he was doing in those two minutes. He said he was just running around checking everything. But um, when he opened the door and they went inside and they went upstairs and then um, Nicole's son actually found Shanann's phone in the couch and he's like, oh yeah, there's the phone. <laughs> like he made like, oh yeah, I didn't just chuck that in there, but he did, he tried to hide it. Um, and then suddenly couldn't remember a pin and some, suddenly didn't know anything about the bank accounts. Oh, this guy. So did you notice that he went into the master bedroom and came out with Shanann's wedding ring on his index finger like the way he was walking with it was just so freaking creepy he wasn't like holding it in his palm or like oh my word look what i found he literally put it on his index finger and was pointing around like such a freaking liar you know like look look what i found she left her ring on the bedside table but again i'm sorry but what an absolute idiot to think that no one would notice that there are no sheets or anything normal on the bed anymore he'd removed it all so now it's just a bed that's clean, like there's no nothing to sleep under. That would be freaking weird. Why is the bed sheet missing? And, you know, why are the, all the blankets missing? What's going on? And then all the fans in the house were on. So, yeah, and the whole house smelt like um, cleaning products, which makes sense, you know. But this is where the accomplice theory comes in, because when he backed up his truck and put his family in the car, Shanann dead, the two girls alive, one or two of them, still alive. Who cleaned the house? When did he have time to do that? He didn't. Someone else must have cleaned the house. Someone else must have left the garage. So remember when the police were asking about the garage and he looked on his phone and he's like, oh yeah, just earlier this morning the garage just, you know, just opened once. Yes. The theory is that that would be the time that his accomplice, mistress, was leaving. So, because of Nicole Atkinson getting the police involved so early, the FBI and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation actually joined the investigation the next day. So that's amazing. Nothing ever happens that quickly. But because of this friend and being like something is very, very wrong um, and just not letting it go, 
it became this massive case immediately. So obviously initially, as we saw, I don't know, I just assume you've seen the footage, but if you didn't, I'm so sorry. I hope I'm covering the case okay for you if you've never heard of this case. So initially, Christopher Watts told police he had no idea where his family was. No idea. He never saw them since five o'clock in the morning or quarter past five when he left for work. And um, he thinks they went on a play date, or but he couldn't name anyone. You know, where did you go? Like, really, where do you think they went? And he's like, I don't know. Um, maybe we should just I should drive around and just look. And they're like, what good would that do? And um, Nicole actually said, why don't you go and look at the public swimming pool? Because maybe they're there. It's a hot enough day. Maybe they went for a swim. And he's like, no, 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 we're not going to look there. So for him, he was again looking very annoyed at her of just like, why are you making life difficult for me? I just want this over with, you know, they're gone. Can we just accept that and move on? That's kind of how his attitude was. Anyway, he gave interviews to Denver stations. So this is the news interviews to KMGH TV and um, KUSA TV right outside the house pleading for the return of his wife and daughters. Investigators with search dogs could be heard on the property during the interview. So those were those cadaver dogs. Oh, that was a disaster and a half. It wasn't the usual. The people who were walking through the house with the cadaver dogs. I, I just, from what I believe, from what I've watched on all these, um, or from all the footage, that they were not professionals. They were sort of amateurs and the dogs were just barking their heads off at everything. And it just wasn't executed very well. So that became a not very accurate thing, you know, where the dogs couldn't detect death in the house. However, Shanann died in the house, but maybe the reason the dogs couldn't detect anything else is because the girls did not die in the house. Anyway, let's skip forward to when Chris Watts was actually arrested. So he was arrested late on August 15, 2018. According to the arrest affidavit and footage from a security camera in the interview room, he failed a lie detector test. Did you see that? Oh my word. (laughs) The fact that he's like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll do a lie detector test. No problem. (laughs) And then they're like, "Um, dude, you actually failed it completely. Like, it's very deceptive. Everything you've said, like, we know you did something. So what did you do? So the investigators said, did Shanann do something? Did she do something? And then you had to kill her? And you know what was so sickening is that he thought, ah, that's such a good idea. In his little pea brain, he came up with, you know what? That's a brilliant idea. So he's like, can I talk to my father? They called his father in and he's like, dad, Shanann killed the girls and then I had to kill her because I was so upset with her. Oh my word, to the shock and horror of the investigators, he actually used their story, like something that they suggested to confess suddenly to his dad. Shame on him, man, lying to his dad like that too. That like, oh, Shanann killed the girl, so I had to kill her. Seriously? And can you believe? I really hope you're not on this team. (laughs) If you are, this is not the podcast for you. But there's a team of people that believe that Shanann actually killed her children. There is no freaking way that she did that. So when he failed the lie detector test, he's like, I was having an affair. And they're like, yes, we already knew that. We didn't even have to ask you about that. That's not... The only thing you were deceptive on, you were deceptive on everything, like anything and everything, especially involving your family. So after a lengthy interrogation, Chris Watts finally showed them, he drew for them on a little map where the bodies could be found. One in one oil tank, one in the other, and Shanann in a shallow grave. Of course, the police went out there and they found Shanann almost immediately because it's kind of in plain sight like that's what I'm saying he wanted to blow up the place but he didn't end up doing that so she was just thrown in a shallow grave just like that like (laughs) you could see it from a drone you know you could see the sheet and everything found Shanann and I believe it was four days later they actually managed to drain the oil out of those tanks and get those little girls out now uh, trigger warning this is sensitive information about children when they took those children out of the tanks they'd been in crude oil for all the time and their skin was slipping off so there is a decomposition process which is skin slippage but of course the crude oil makes it so much worse and anyone who was involved at the crime scene at the time was horrified and traumatized some got severe ptsd some committed suicide some quit their jobs i mean 
it must have been so horrendous to see these two little girls' bodies that they've seen so much video footage of in crude oil with their skin slipping off. And they also found that Bella's tongue had been bitten several times, like kind of over and over, which shows that she was fighting for her life um, because she, she really, she was kind of aware of what was going on at that point based on all the information we know now. The mom's on the floor, he drags her body out and chucks her in the field, which was kind of sunrise already. So these kids were able to see what was going on. And came back to the car, smothered little Cece, the youngest sister, in front of Bella, and then walked her to the oil tank while carrying Cece that was dead already. What? And then smothered her. So, of course, by that time she's absolutely fighting for her life, which is the most heartless and horrendous thing I can imagine. And what shocks me most is that Bella looks so much like her dad. She looks so much like Chris Watts, so he literally... I don't know how he did it, man. Like, how do you look at this beautiful little girl, your own daughter, who looks just like you, and murder her, and then throw her in a tank? Like, seriously? I... <laughs> I don't know what kind of evil we're dealing with here. So on August 21st, Christopher was charged with five counts of first-degree murder. So the fifth one is for the unborn baby, including an additional one count per child, cited as death of a child who had not yet attained 12 years of age, and the defendant was in a position of trust, unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and three counts of tampering with a deceased human body. He was denied bail at his first court appearance, and at a later hearing, his bail was set to $5 million, with him being required to put down 15% to be released. So I'm glad they put the bail that high, because he was going nowhere. Apparently, he was very bullied and traumatized in prison in Colorado at first, and due to security concerns, on December the 5th, he actually was moved to Dodge Correctional Institute, which is a maximum security prison in Wisconsin to continue serving his life sentences. And he says it's been a lot better there since, you know, since he's been there, which again, why does he have those privileges? Why the security concerns? If there are security concerns, just let him be there. Dharma got beaten up in prison. Dharma got killed in prison. Why can't they just let Chris Watts meet his fate? You know what I mean? Why protect him so much? That I don't understand. Of course, since the case has really hit the media um, and there's so many people covering it and it's just still got the hype that it had from the very start. Netflix made a documentary. There's been many miniseries about it, you know, on TV. Dr. Phil has an entire episode where he interviewed Shanann's um, parents and brother. So that was also an interesting watch if you haven't seen it yet. I found the Chris Watts Netflix documentary extremely disappointing because they barely covered any of the important parts. It was just kind of an overview, you know. So if you've never heard of the case and you just want a general overview of what happened, that's pretty much it. I just don't think it did the family any justice, which means Shanann and the little girls. I don't think it really portrayed Christopher Watts as the monster that he is. And anyway, that's my opinion on it. If you watched it, let me know if you liked it. I've spoken to a few people on my Grizzly Books page on Instagram, which if you're not on there, it's grizzly underscore books underscore true crime. And it seems that generally we all feel the same about the documentary of like, what the hell was that? It was called American Murder, The Family Next Door. Um, yeah, if you've seen it, if you didn't know anything about the case, maybe you would have liked it. But if you do know anything about the case, it would just be so disappointing and I wouldn't really recommend it. The only thing it was really good for was all the home movies and all the social media posts that Shanann had made. And then the text messages between Shanann and Chris Watts leading up to the events. That was pretty interesting. But um, besides that, most of the YouTube channels that you can watch and everything you can see there are equally interesting. They also cover the footage. You could just search it yourself. You wouldn't have to watch the documentary. You could actually see more on YouTube than you can anywhere else. Also, if you are on YouTube and watching the Chris Watts case, um, and if you don't actually know where to really start with what to watch, I would highly recommend the Armchair Detective. That's literally his YouTube channel name. 
Some people don't like him, but honestly, his information is the most accurate based on the case. And it's actually a lot of things that he pointed out. For example, the shadows under the car. The FBI listened to him about it. Like literally, he showed them these shadows are under the car. His videos got huge exposure. And then they went to look at the tapes themselves and they're like, holy shit, the shadows are under the car. <laughs> and so they knew then that the girls were actually still alive at the point where they were put in the truck and things like that so i just find that there is so much out there about chris watts that i would recommend the armchair detective and christina randall those are two channels that i really like watching about the case i like the way that christina covers it um, it's very entertaining so if you haven't ever watched any youtube videos about it or if you you know are lost in the whole world of what to watch and where and how I would recommend those two channels and the third one I would recommend is Derek Van Shake which is a he's a body language expert and he breaks down Chris Watts's interrogation in entirety so that's very interesting to watch as well to me this was just the beginning of how I would talk about Chris Watts um, I hope I've covered some interesting points or some facts that maybe you didn't know about now that I've finally done my own episode about the Chris Watts case, I can see why people have ongoing channels and ongoing episodes about this case because it's it's virtually impossible to cover everything that you want to say in one episode. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. I'll let you know if I ever do another episode. Um, I might do it on Patreon and just do an entire running season over there because as things pop up and as things develop, I would obviously love to share it. Even if it just becomes a long-standing Patreon project that I do just to cover it as things develop. Um, but let me know what you think about this episode. I'll also be sure to link all the YouTube channels that I mentioned below so that they will be easy for you to find. And if you would be so kind to click follow or subscribe to this podcast and to possibly even leave a review, that would mean the absolute world to me. I will see you again soon. Um, of course, season three, the official season, you know, I did season one, Jeffrey Dahmer, season two, Ted Bundy. And season three will be all about John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. I'm still busy um, finishing up the book right now. So there's still some time to go before then. So I'll see if I do any other standalone episodes here for you. I will let you know on Instagram if I do. So be sure to come and find me over there and follow me there so that I can update you over there. But in the meantime, I wish you a wonderful day or week or weekend ahead and I will see you again in the next one.